Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, I'm your host Norm, and this is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, a special weekly episode where a bunch of us content creators come together and let you know what we've been playing recently. And uh, this is episode 99, Wayne Gretzky, the great one. And on this episode, the tabletop bellhop, definitely a board game podcast, the Meeple Dungeon, board on the air. Meeple and the Moose, Mozart Games, and Cardboard Conjecture. And as always, please take a moment to check out the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. And, uh, yeah, number 99. Hello, and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, helping you make your game nights better. So the big thing that happened this past week is that I co-hosted my first public play event since 2019, for obvious reasons. Uh, this was put on by myself and the CG Realm, which is a great, friendly local game store here on Windsor on Ottawa Street that I recommend any locals check out, or anyone who visits Windsor should stop by and check them out. Uh, we had this event at the Barbershop Bar, which is on Howard Avenue, and it was our first time trying a gaming event there. Now, since this was a new venue and it had been so long since we've done an event together, we weren't sure what we were going to get, but I'm pleased to say it was a hit. We got a mix of experienced hobby gamers along with casual gamers and some people that just stopped in to see what was going on. At its peak, we had seven tables playing games, which included Point Salad, Castles of Mad King Ludwig, Magic the Gathering, Splendor, Bang the Dice Game, Gloom, and Hues and Cues, which is a really good example of the range of types of games that got played at the event. While I spent most of the night hosting and teaching games, which included some of the ones I just mentioned, as well as Garinto and Chisel. As for actually playing games, I did sit down with a family of five with almost no game experience and taught them Hues and Cues from the op, which they loved. By the end of the game, they were taking pictures of the box and talking to Ian from the CG Realm to see if they could get in copies of the game to the store. Just awesome to hear. Personally, I found it fascinating just how different this game can be depending on who you played with. Uh, this was not the same as when I played with my family or Tori and Kat. The, the clues that were given were really out there compared to what I was used to. While we did get a couple common clues like grass and water and pool, uh, there were some really unique ones as well, which was good to see. And we had a lot of fun with people giving ambiguous clues thinking they were not like tulips, which in my head were yellow and in the player saying it were red. Um, it was really neat to see, really enjoyed the, playing the game and teaching the game. It was great to see other people enjoy it. Now, the other game I played as well as taught was Chiseled from Stonemeyer Games. Uh, this was to a group of experienced gamers, and it went over fantastic. I was glad to see it's not just my small group of gamers that I've gotten to play with this that really digs this deck shedding game. This game went over so well that partway through, we had a couple of watchers standing over us asking questions. Oh, what's this game about? And what are you doing? 
Wait, are you deck building? No, we're deck shedding. That was really fascinating. Overall, it was a great event, which we're hoping to become a regular once a month thing. Everything's on track for our next event in January. And I am really looking forward to uh, getting more involved in the local gaming scene and not just playing with the same people in my own gaming room all the time. So that was awesome. I, I get to be the bellhop out in public again, and I really enjoyed it. I will admit when it started off, I felt it felt weird, right? It felt kind of strange. There were all these people and some people were in mass and some weren't. And it felt kind of awkward. But by the end of the event, it just kind of felt like coming home. It's, it's what I love to do. It's what keeps me in the hobby. Um, it was a great night and I look forward to it. So this event wasn't all the gaming I got in. Still in the mood for games when we got home from the barbershop bar, Deanna and I decided to get a couple of two-player games off our pile of shame and obligation, starting with Boba Mahjong from Sunrise Tornado. Uh, this is a two-player-only set collection game that honestly reminds me of a mix of rummy and point salad. You've got a hand of cards, and there's a market of three cards, and you use those combined to make sets of three, either straights or runs. After making a set, you've got to pick one card from that set to save for scoring at the end of the game, and the others get added to the market, which really can mess with your opponent. Now, once either player has collected 10 scoring cards, or the deck happens to run out, which didn't happen to us, each player is going to pick six of the ingredients that they scored earlier, that they put aside to score, and make a boba drink out of it, and then score that final drink, and that's how you determine the winner. Here, you're going to get points for straights, runs, collecting different suits, toppings, and more. Now, we played a couple games in a row and really enjoyed it. I really like the way the market works and the way you have to discard into it. That is a big part of play. And the whole thing where you have a set of three in your hand and you're like, I've got three sevens. This will be awesome. Well, no, you only get to keep one of those. The other two then get into that market where they might get claimed by your opponent or just buried. I found there was an interesting thought process required to plan ahead. The strategy in this game is really fascinating. As for more about Boba Mahjong, I will be sharing that in the coming weeks. We've only played twice, but I will be doing up a review once we get in a few more plays. Uh, next up, Deanna and I tried Disney Sorcerer's Arena Epic Alliance's Corset. Not quite the game with the longest name in my collection, but getting pretty close. Again, we got in two games, and despite being experienced gamers, we decided to start with Chapter 1. Now, this is a two-player dueling card and miniature game that reminds me a lot of other games in that genre like Warhammer Underworld or Funkoverse, or Unmatched. Though in this case, you have acrylic standees instead of minis. But the, the basic premise of I build a team, you build a team, and we battle each other using cards is the same. Now, this game features a five-chapter onboarding system that I think is totally brilliant. Especially since once you've gotten through all five, you can go back and play with the simpler rules with the from the earlier chapters which means this would be a great game for growing with a family or for families with kids of different ages. Even here, I am pretty sure that with one of my daughters, I'll be playing chapter five. And with one of my other daughters, I'll probably start at chapter two. So I think that's really cool. I think it's great. I've seen a lot of hobby gamers kind of be like, skip the beginning, just jump right to chapter five. Well, for hobby gamers, that's great. But I love the fact that they have the option to go back for non-hobby gamers or, or casual players or kids. Now, gameplay involves characters activating in a set initiative order with awesome pieces for tracking it, then taking one move and one action in either order. Now, this can be a basic move or a basic attack, or you can play a card and the character will do what's on the card. And each character has their own decks, which are shuffled together, smash-up style, to form your team deck. Now, you're going to get points for controlling three spots on the board, as well as knocking out the opponent's characters. And no, there's no player elimination. Your character just pop back next turn at full health. Feels very video gamey that way. 
Now, one thing I do dig about this Disney game, especially compared to other ones I've recently played, is that it feels like a family Disney game, something to gather around with the kids. It's light enough for kids and families, but does have enough rules in the later chapters to keep older Disney fans who have become gamers interested. I think that's what a modern Disney game really needs, something to appeal to the longtime Disney fans and the new ones. Now, finally, my last game for this week, we finished off Black Brim 1876 on Sunday with Tiana's family. Uh, this is from Puzzling Pursuits. This was the second half of this escape room in a box, which I talked about last week. And I gotta say the second half had six puzzles instead of five. So one more puzzle than the, than the first half. And these puzzles were significantly harder with more bits, more things to look at. Actually, one of them had like four little micro puzzles you had to solve to solve the whole thing. And it was still fun. Um, I love the fact, and this hasn't changed since part one, that these puzzles, these six puzzles are independent of each other, meaning different people can work on different things concurrently, which work great for our group of five. We each picked a different, uh, there's no real spoilers in this. this is a puzzle game, not a mystery game. Uh, we each picked a different room to explore, took an envelope for our room and we're doing our own thing until we needed help. And then we paired up and passed things back and forth and eventually solved the whole thing without having, well, we did use a few clues. We never had to look up a solution, which to me is, is kind of the perfect spot for an escape room game. For even more about Black Brim 1876, I invite you to tune in to our live show tonight at 9 p.m. at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop. I'll be doing up a full review of Black Brim 1876, as well as talking about RPGs in a box, dungeon crawler adventure style uh, games, board games that kind of give you that RPG feel. Well, that's it for the games I played this past week. Remember, you can always find our content over at tabletopbellhop.com, and you can find me all over the internet, now including Mastodon on dice.camp as tabletopbellhop, one word. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzano. Good day, and game on. Hello, I'm Aaron Millick. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast. A podcast definitely about board games, except when it isn't. And we are back on What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Royce, do you have a question for me? Yes. Yes, I do. What's that? What are you buying me for Christmas? <laughs> what am I? I'm buying you the same thing I got you last year. Oh. <laughs> Great. <laughs> For a free hug. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, if you want me to come down yeah. and give you a hug, I could definitely do I that. I do not want a hug. <laughs> well, I do not want a coupon for a hug. <laughs> COVID, you know. Yeah, we don't want to be touching. I understand. No, no, that's got nothing to do with COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Royce, do you have another question for me? Yes. What's that? I think what you are very subtly trying to get me to say. Subtly. And I could be wrong here, but yeah. your, your, you know, subtle railroading is <laughs> what you've been playing Wednesday, Aaron. I'll tell you what I've been playing on Wednesday, Royce. And it's a game you definitely do not want me to give you for Christmas. And that is Don't Llama, a card game. Okay. <laughs> this is Reiner Knizia, Amigo Games 2019. Uh, I like this game a lot. It's been hitting the tables all year long around here. All my friends like it. All of my family like it. It's basically a very simple game where you match or beat the cards that were played. But there may come a time when you cannot do that. 
and you need to decide whether it's time to bow out and take the score in your hand or keep on picking up and possibly end up with a much bigger score. You collect chips, white and black chips, to keep track of your score. White chips are one point, black chips are 10. You, if you ever win one hand, you can actually unload one chip. So if you have one of those black chips in your hand, you could toss it out and all of a sudden your score drops dramatically. First person of 40 loses, whoever has the lowest score wins. That's how you play Don't Llama. Nice and simple, cool looking cards. Royce, not a fan. I didn't say that. I mean, it's true, but I didn't say it. <laughs> um, okay. So let's let's start with Reiner Knizia. Yeah. Genius. Absolute genius. But he puts out a lot of games and not all of them are wonderful. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Llama. I'm going to re-describe it. <laughs> in Royce's way. In more realistic terms. Oh, boy. I was pretty well, realistic. Llama is a game where you either play a card if you have one that will play. No decision there at all. <laughs> or you draw a card if you don't, you know, have very many cards. Um, <laughs> at any point, you can choose to quit the game. Yeah. And that is the only choice in the game, whether to quit playing or not. Uh, <laughs> what do you say like that? Literally, the only choice in the whole game is, do I quit playing or not? Other than that, you're just doing the most obvious move possible. I, I, this game got a lot of buzz and has won a pile of awards and nominees, and I just don't get it. I I played it probably a dozen times on Board Game Arena. And nominated for Spiel de Jahres 2019, Royce. It says right there. Uh, right, I'm showing you the box right there in the camera there. You see that? I know. Yeah. You just don't get it. it, it it's, <laughs> but anyway, it's a game. Uh, <laughs> what you been playing on Wednesday, Royce? Smarty pants. So, so in the episode that just dropped, um, I was talking with Hank Rollerman. Uh, Hank is the probably the number one board game photographer in the world. And we talked all about board game photography and how you can get involved in board game photography if that's something you're excited about. And I don't know if it's linked to that or not, but it really was one of the inspirations for digging out a game that we have played before. And I may even have talked about it on the show. I'll be honest, I don't know. But it's really all we've been playing for the last, I don't know, uh, a couple of weeks anyway, and that's Micro Macro. Mm. So I had both Micro Macro Crime City and Micro Macro, I think Full House is the second one. And we hadn't finished Micro Macro Crime City. We got really close and we wanted to play the second one because the third one just came out. So we've been playing it. I, I love this series of games. Uh, if you've never seen it before, think of like a black and the white Where's Waldo type map right. that is, oh, I don't know, maybe two and a half feet by three, three and a half feet. It's like a so road it's a map. Big, big map, uh, lots of art on it, little people doing everything in Crime City. And Crime City really is Crime City. I mean, there's dead bodies everywhere. There's people <laughs> being robbed. There's people. And you're, you're, what makes it really cool, though, it's not just a where's Waldo. It's where's Waldo? What has he been doing? And where is he now? Oh, because the whole map has stories and you can follow a character along and follow their entire day. Hmm. This is where they went. This is what they did next. This is where they went shopping. This is what happened to them. This is where their body got disposed of. Like you, and you can see then who's the killers follow the killer back to where they live. And it's just this really cool 
story-driven investigation clue game that's just a lot of fun. I would never play it with more than two players. It would just be bonking your heads together like coconuts trying to see the information. Wow. Uh, it really makes me feel a little bit old because my back, when I'm leaning over this map, standing up, leaning over this map for an hour and a half and my back seizes up and I realize I'm not quite as young as I think I am right. some days. Yeah. Um, but it's just so cool. And then every now and then, not every story, but a couple of them just to have the best narrative. There was even one that literally made me go, <gasps> when we hit the end, it was like this huge <gasps> surprise. <laughs> Holy crap, that happened. <laughs> it was just so cool. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, if you haven't tried Micro Macro, give it a shot. It's such a weird, neat idea. It may be more of an activity than a game. I could see that argument, but it's really, really fun. I really enjoy it. Uh, it's by Pegasus Spiel. And available everywhere. Yeah. Cool. So, if you like looking for things on maps, micro macro. And if you like games where there's Putting only the game. one decision, which is either to play or not, <laughs> don't yeah. llama the card game. If you like a game where the main decision is, I'm going to quit the game. Yeah. Llama. That's the yeah. one for you. Absolutely. All right. If you liked what we had to say today and you want to hear more, check out Definitely Board Game Podcast. We're played on all of the streaming services for podcasts. If you want to reach out to us, definitely board at gmail.com, at board definitely on Facebook, and at definitely board on Twitter. At board definitely. At board definitely on Twitter. There you go. Those are the places to reach out and say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Hi. There you go. Merry Christmas, everyone. Anything else before we go, Royce? Happy holidays. Happy festivists for the rest of us. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. Say goodbye, Royce. Goodbye, Rose. Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. This week, we have two games we're going to talk about. What's the first game, Anna Marie? The first game is Ready, Set, Bet, designed by John D. Clare, art by Kirk W. Buckendorf and Athena Kegel, and published by AEG, Alderac Entertainment Group. Mm-hmm. Ready, Set, Bet. So this is an awesome horse racing betting game <laughs> um it's it's kind of it's kind of i mean it's almost on the line of an activity versus a game but it's um yeah it's it's an excellent excellent game so how this game works is somebody has to be the game runner or what's the word you want to use for that you're basically like the announcer like yeah. you're, you're the one who's saying where the horses are going because you're rolling the dice yeah um which are determining which horses are moving up the track and how far they're moving mm -hmm. up the track um so you have two you have two main boards to this game you have the big betting board where all the bets are going to take place and then you have the small sideboard which uh indicates where the, the horses are and the actual racetrack where uh, how far along each horse is and how close they are to the winning and, and so forth and what position they finish the race mm -hmm. in. And yeah, so one player just does the race and, and rolls the die. And for every die you roll, um, it represents every die combination, I should say, represents a different horse and that horse moves ahead x amount of spaces depending on how you roll and whatnot yeah and if you roll like doubles so let's or not doubles but let's say you roll a seven mm -hmm. and then the next roll you roll another seven 
It gets its bonus. It's get a bonus. And actually, I think that was yeah. a bad example because yeah, I think seven, seven is the only one, one that doesn't, doesn't get yes. a bonus because it's got the most chances of being rolled. But yeah. if you say you rolled a four and then the next turn you rolled a four, it's going to go up bonus spaces, not just one. Mm-hmm. So, and if you roll it again, um, so it's it's neat because then you're like, Horses oh, can man. come out of nowhere, right? Too. Here it comes up <laughs> yeah. out of nowhere. And yeah, so yeah, one person does that. And then everyone else at the table is betting on these horses in real time. Yeah. So, and this plays up to nine players. Yeah. Um, so everyone's just looking, you know, kind of standing there with their poker chips in their hand and placing them on these different betting spaces on whether you think a horse is going to win or what place it's going to come in or if it's even going to show in the race. And if somebody's placed their bet before you and you wanted to put it there, but they got it there before yeah, you, you're like, oh, nuts. Yeah. Unless you have like a special token or a special card that says you can place your bet on one other person's bet. And so they have... Um, they also have these cards that you're going to get that come into play that might mm-hmm. give you like special abilities. But have fun remembering those abilities while you're in the midst of trying to place your bets. Yes. And it's just, it's fun chaos. It's really it great. It's great. And it is real time. So as the horses, like the fast, as fast as I can roll the die and move the horses, that's how, that's how fast you guys have to pay attention to what's going on and, and where you're betting and when and why and how. Yeah. And just. And, and then, once they start getting over the like no bet line. Then, then everyone just sits you back. Can't, well, you can't. Can you? I think you can keep betting on other horses. You just can't keep betting on the horse that's past the no bet line. So then, because uh, then it has from the no bet line, then it has to win, like to get yes, to the end. Yeah. So it's, uh, oh, it's fun. And as yeah. you move through the game, there's kind of like different things kind of get added. You get different cards kind of get added to give you sort of powers, uh, if you want to say that. Mm-hmm. So you get little bonus things added throughout the game. And it's just a riot. We played this for the first time at Shucks here in 2022 in Vancouver. And, um, yeah, it was a blast. We yeah. finished off our night playing this. We played three or four games in a row, and it was just it was just fantastic. And it is just as much fun being the uh, the person in control of the horses, like the person yeah. rolling the dice and and saying like where the horses are going and, and keeping that going. It's just as much fun doing that as it is. Yeah, the, I like equally the actual enjoyed betting. it. Yeah, I yeah. equally enjoyed it. Didn't I? Didn't matter. Didn't matter to me whether I was running the race or betting. It was, it was so much fun. Yeah, really, really great game. Highly recommend this one. We I plan on playing this one a bunch over the holidays. Absolutely. This one will be like a course or like a. This one will be a cornerstone game for like New Year's Eve, right? Yeah. Get people around the table and rolling the dice and oh, it's going to be hilarious. Yes. So yeah, highly, highly recommend Ready, Set, Bet from John D. Clare and AEG. Um, and we have one other game we wanted to mention. We mentioned this game last week as well, I believe, and that's Oak. And that comes from Game Brewer. Uh, we have the Kickstarter Deluxe Edition here. And we, <laughs> we just, uh, as we're uh, recording this, we just finished playing... Um, another game of this and it's uh it's going to be the uh the review uh topic review of our next episode of the meeple dungeon podcast Mm -hmm. which i think we're recording tomorrow so you should see uh yeah episode 51 featuring a review of oak from game brewer coming out on the meeple dungeon podcast sometime this week probably thursday friday something like that okay so i think that's it for this week so we will see you next week cheers see ya Hello, I'm Jordan. And I'm David. And this is Board on the Air, a weekly radio show on CFCR. 
And tonight is What Have You Been Playing? Tonight we're talking about... Pixie Queen, a 2-5 player from Game Brewer. Uh, this is their first game they released as a company. Uh, the designer, Rudy... I can't pronounce his last name. It's his only design. Uh, the artist has only done it and Paranormal Detectives for the most part. Uh, and in it, you are trying to lose the least amount of points. Yeah. So you're all serfs, basically, working for the Pixie Queen. And you're going to be taking actions that will be... Or you have a group of pixies working for you, and you're a serf working for the queen. Yes. So you're going to be taking actions to... You can move up your pixies up the tracks. You can get more resources by stealing because you're pixies. Uh, you can move up tracks based on gold and silver. And at the end of all your actions, the queen is going to be like, okay, I want this food. Yeah, it's it's got a mechanism similar to Trajan where at the end of the round you flip over a disc and that's what you have to pay the queen. And everybody has to pay either that, or they can do something else, or gold or silver. Uh, Only gold or silver. If they do something else, they lose five points. Yeah. You're usually not going to do that. No. Uh, but if you do gold and silver, you're going to move up on those tracks. If you do what she wants, you get to advance, advance your pixies up the worker placement spaces, basically. So it's easier to do those actions. However... Everyone puts out their hand and says, okay, I'm offering this. But you don't know what everyone's offering. Yeah. So if everyone shows the medal, like gold or silver, the queen isn't happy because no one fed her. Yeah. And so everybody loses stuff. Well, more stuff. More stuff, yeah. it's Each round, or you start with zero points, I believe. Yeah, you start at zero, like yeah. most games. And you're, you're going backwards. Uh, it, it's just a reverse way of scoring. More than anything. It's uh, maximizing losing point. Well, yeah. not maximizing losing points. Minimizing it while you're getting all your positive points for the end game. Yeah. Any points going forward are all end game points. Uh, you're going to play about eight rounds. No. Seven. Seven rounds. And at the end of seven rounds, whoever has lost the least amount of points, because they even say in the rule books, very rarely will you be positive. Yes. Uh is the winner. Uh, it gets bashed a little bit because you're always losing points, so some people say it's very negative. Uh, it, it's it's comical because, yeah. you know, you're the queen is always wanting more. Mm -hmm. uh, you, are you are answering to her, and that's why you're losing points every round. Yeah, right? You can't fully satisfy someone. And yeah. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's that whole surf royalty type thing. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in this game. It's, it's mid-weight. Uh, nice animation, or nice graphics. Uh, solid mechanics, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, I like the whole moving your pixies up, and that makes it easier for both you and everybody else to go to that space. Yep. Uh, if that space is, if the space you want to do is covered... There's a space where you can go to that allows you to do a action that's already been taken. It costs you some points to do that. But and the more people that go there, the more points it costs. Those those future people going there. Mm -hmm. uh, the first person always is the cheapest. 
Yeah, the turn order, if you're in first place, you're safe from some penalties that can happen every once in a while. Yeah, and you can change that turn order during the round. Uh, at the end of the round, there is the constant turn order, which the only way to move that up is to uh, pay honey Yeah. Uh, to sweeten the deal. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> each food has their own thing. Yeah. So you're collecting food to be able to give to her, but you also still need it if you... Because apples help you bump other people's pixies as you're yeah. moving yours up. Wood gets rid of rocks out of your pixies on the mines, which is where they start off and they will lose points if they're there. Yeah. And then the last one just... Is the honey. Honey for moving up the turn order. Yeah, and the, the worker placement spaces are sort of a pyramid where you start with about five on the bottom to the top row that only has two. Uh, and as Jordan said, you use... If you want to move your pixie up because there is a top space... That allows you to get some victory points at the end of each round. Uh, to get up and there you're being blocked, you can pay an apple to switch spots with people. Uh, so there's some interaction that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one way to get victory points, which is just paying resources. Yeah. And then you just add one more resource to that area to make it more expensive for the next person. Yeah, and, and that one, the more people that go there, the quicker it gets to the higher point values. So the more resources you get, the more points you get back. Uh, you can spend your gold for rings, and that gives you victory points. There, there's lots of stuff that gives you some victory points at the end of the game. You just have to make sure you don't get the negative 60. Yeah, uh, and it's pretty tough, too. Like, Yeah, you would you have know? to be trying or have yeah. everyone against you using the one action to give whips. Yeah, and, and it's all about that uh, minimizing, right? You, you want to do everything that is going to make the queen as happy as possible. So you lose as, as few points as you can each round. Uh, Ways to do that is to move up the tracks for gold and silver, because the higher up on those are, the less whips you get. If you haven't moved up at all, you lose three whips per side. Yeah. Uh, there's also uh, People in getting the all your queen or all your pixies out to help or out of the mines. Uh, yeah. That is a good thing. Uh, I think those are the two. Those are the two ones that will happen every round. Yeah. Uh, At the end of the game, also, if you have any leftover resources, if you have the most of that type, you lose three more points. So. Yeah, each it's it is really an efficiency puzzle in this game, and and it's neat, and I really enjoyed it. We haven't played it a whole lot, Mm -hmm. but the games we have played, I've always had fun with it. And yeah, and I think the coolest thing is the asymmetric abilities you can get, where it's like, oh, I have an ability to do this. Nothing you have is safe. Yeah. Someone can just go to an action and be like, oh, I want your ability. You can't say no. Here, let's trade. Yeah, there's six abilities that come out each round or each game, and everybody starts with one, and then you're able to switch with other people if you go to a certain spot. Uh, There's some one-time use abilities, and then there's some stealing abilities that get you some more resources. But as Jordan said, you don't want too many resources because at the end of the game, it can cost you points. Yep. But you don't get the choice of, if you don't, you don't get to choose not to take those resources yeah. if you have the tile. You always have to take resources. It's not like other games where you're like, oh, I don't really need those. I'm not going to take them this round. You have to take your resources. Okay, I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we will talk to you next week. My name is Alex, and I write board game reviews over at MeepleInTheMoose.com, and I'm here to talk about the games I played this week for what you've been playing Wednesday. This week, I'm going to talk about the final two games that we played at the end of CabinCon 2022. 
Now, the final day is usually just cleanup. We need to be out by 11am, which just leaves us a small amount of time to game after we eat breakfast, pack our stuff, and leave the place in good condition. Last year, we managed to squeeze in three games of My City by Rainer Knizia in that time frame. This year, we learned a new light game and finished the weekend off with a classic card game. Explorers by Phil Walker Harding is a flip and write game about traversing the countryside and accumulating sets of resources. Each turn, the active player flips a card depicting two terrain types and chooses one of the sides for themselves. They cross off three squares of the selected terrain type, and then the other players can choose to either cross off three squares of the other terrain type or two squares of the same terrain type that the active player chose. Players can cross off any square they want on the board provided it's touching an existing square, and crossing off icons on the board will award you with various benefits. There are keys and temples on each section of the board. To cross off a temple, you first need to cross off a key. The value of crossing off a temple decreases depending on how many players pillage the temple before you. Carrots, fish, and apples act as a set collection for each round. The horses will give you a bonus wild X for the turn that you cross the horse off. The maps will allow you to take the active player selection with no drawback. The village tiles will also give you points based on how many adjacent squares of, to the villages you manage to cross off. And finally, the emeralds will give you a point every turn from the turn that you cross it off. There's a lot of short-term goals in Explorers, which can be a lot of fun. Do you beeline towards a temple hoping to be there first, or is it more valuable to collect a full set of food before the round ends? Making players choose between multiple goals is really fun, and the game has an incredible amount of variability. There are 8 terrain tiles which can be rotated in any direction. The food, villages, emeralds, and temples all have different scoring styles if you flip each of those components. All of the unused terrain tiles offer bonus scoring elements as well. Speaking of the components, the boards are colorful, thick, and glossy, making it very easy to cross off squares and wipe clean at the end. All around, a great production. Explorers somewhat reminds me of Cartographers, which is great because I love Cartographers. It's obviously quite a different game when you drill down into the details, but it still evokes the same feelings. If you enjoy Cartographers but dislike having players place negative points onto your sheet, which honestly is an aspect that I adore, uh, perhaps Explorers will be more up your alley. The next game I want to mention is Six Nymphed, or Take Six. Six Nymphed is a little card game that was gifted into our board game family. We played it online during the pandemic and Bigfoot put it onto his BGG wishlist. Someone local to us reached out and offered to him for free. Such generosity. In Six Nymphed, the goal is not to get points. The first player to hit 66 points triggers the end of the game, and then the player with the lowest score is the winner. The game starts with 4 cards placed on the table, and 10 cards in each player's hand. Simultaneously, each player plays a card, and then in numerical order, they're placed in each of the rows. They're not freely placed, however, they simply slot in next to the cards that they're closest to in ascending order. Should a card slide into the 6th slot, the player who played that card must take all the cards in their, that row as their score, and that card becomes the first card in that row. I'm perpetually amazed at how much tension and excitement can be achieved by a card game. The reveal as all players flip their play cards, the gasp as someone sneaks into a row that you didn't expect, and the anguish when you're forced to take a row with a dozen points more is just delicious. One thing I didn't expect after CabinCon 2022 was how exhausted I was when I got home after the weekend. A lot of great and heavy games were played, and because there was very little rule teaching or punching games, it was just hit after hit to my poor feeble brain. 21 plays of 23 different games is no small feat. 1,760 minutes or 29.33 hours of actual gameplay time leaves a mind overworked and soggy. As far as the quote-unquote winner of CabinCon 2022 goes, Bigfoot won an impressive 10 games. 
Baron Park, Beyond the Sun, Cartographers, Karuba, Gaia Project, Seven Wonders, Glenmore 2, Twice as Clever, Race for the Galaxy, and Explorers. Otter claimed victory over five games, Sagrada, Gaia Project, Scythe, Castles of Mad Queen, Ludwig, and Six Nymphs. I won four games, Arboretum, Karuba, Eclipse, and Food Chain Magnate. And Bear won a solitary game right at the end of the weekend, Race for the Galaxy. None of us really put stock into who wins or loses the most, so there's no trophies to be won here. If you want to read more about the games that I played but didn't mention during What You've Been Playing Wednesday, you can find a short summary for each of these games on my blog, MeepleInTheMoose.com. And that's all I have to talk about this week. For more board game reviews, check out my blog, MeepleInTheMoose.com. And have a happy Wednesday! Hey everybody, this is Chris Morris, back again for What You've Been Playing Wednesday. If you don't follow me on Twitter already, you can check me out there as SpiderMo. That's Spider with a Y for some of my insights into board gaming, craft beer, and some random rants and raves. This week, I want to talk about a game that I recently played called Hansa Teutonica. It's designed by Andrea Stedding and originally released back in 2009. Hansa Teutonica is a very dry Euro, where players represent merchants, trying to build trade routes between various German villages and setting up offices in those villages so that you benefit whenever yourself or other players build routes to those villages in future rounds. It's a game where you're going to be moving cubes all game long. You place cubes on routes as you build them. You remove those cubes when you complete them and possibly place one in a village to build an office. You'll be pulling cubes off of your player board when you upgrade actions, and you'll constantly be moving cubes back and forth from your reserve, from your reserve area to your active area in order to use those cubes over and over again. Oh, and just to spice things up, you may occasionally get to do all the same things, but with discs during the game too. Isn't that crazy? But through all of this dryness and monotony, is there an actual game to be played? I'm happy to say that yes. Once you get past the drabness of the theme, the very beige board, and placing cubes over and over again, Hansa Teutonica is actually a really cool game. There's ample opportunities to mess with your opponent's plans and make clever plays that will help you over the course of the game. It also plays fairly quickly once players grasp the options that are available to them, as the game will end immediately once one player scores 50 points, and that triggers the end of the game um, and more scoring for everybody. Now, essentially on your turn, you're going to choose one of the five actions that you can take. The most common of these actions is going to be to place cubes on trade routes around the board. Each route requires two to four cubes to be placed in order to complete it, meaning that quite often you'll be unable to finish a route on a single turn until you get a little bit later in the game, and this will leave spaces available for your opponents to come in and mess with your plans by placing their own cubes where you need to be. However, as another action, you can replace their cubes with your own, but it does require that you discard one of your cubes in the process, and then they get to place their cube on an adjacent trade route, and they'll also get to place another cube with it as compensation. So each time you do that, you're going to help them out in the process. Once you have completed a route, as another action, you can remove those cubes that you've placed in order to build an office in one of the two connected villages, which will allow you to score victory points in future rounds whenever any other player builds a route there. Also, instead of building an office, some villages will allow you to unlock more powerful actions or endgame scoring points within them, and these places will usually be built too often in the game, so it could be a huge way to gain victory points if you build an office there early enough. 
Another action that you can take is to move a number of your previously placed cubes on the board to new routes. This is a really good way to pivot when somebody messes up your plans and can be a good way to quickly finish a route as you're able to move multiple cubes for a single action. The last action that you can take is to purchase cubes that are in your reserve, adding them to your active pool of cubes, giving you more freedom to do things in subsequent actions. Nothing is super difficult to figure out once you see each of the actions performed, but there is a delicate balancing act as to what you're trying to do, and players need to focus both on the short-term goals along with watching how quickly the endgame is approaching. If a player connects two cities on the far side of the map from one another, they'll score fistfuls of points, which can accelerate the game end. So watching what everyone's doing is crucial. There's also several bonus tokens that are placed on route at the beginning of the game, and also during it by other players. And these tokens will allow players to gain some major benefits if they collect them. So if a juicy token gets placed by an opponent, it may be beneficial to you to change your plans to collect that before somebody else does. We played this with the Big Box Edition, and there's several optional variants that can be used, as well as a couple of new map locations that change the game up in big, in, uh, big ways. Uh, we played the, gase, the base game map first, and then a second game on one of the expansion maps. And I'm not sure if it was because we were all more familiar with the gameplay, or if the new board was just more cutthroat, but we were all in each other's faces much more in that second game, trying to mess up everyone's plans as much as possible. And it was really enjoyable, as nothing was super permanent, and if someone cuts you off, it's easy enough to shove them out of your way or change your plans. We had a big standoff early in the game, as one player was completely out of cubes to place, and they tried to get in everybody's faces. But we just kind of let them dangle there for a bit, uh, and not help them by removing the cubes that he wanted us to. The theme and the mechanics are pretty dry, and it is the epitome of early 2000s Euro games but there is a lot of strategy involved in Hansa Teutonica. No one's going to look at this game and be completely drawn into it at first glance, but if you give it a chance, there's a great depth of gameplay in it, and it's a fairly easy-to-grasp rule set with plenty of options. I certainly didn't feel like I was a medieval merchant guild establishing trading posts and building routes, but I did enjoy myself immensely, and that's what's far more important in my opinion. If you get an opportunity to give Hansa Teutonica a try, don't let the weird mustachio dude on the cover scare you off. You might just be glad that you gave it a shot. So thanks for listening to my thoughts this week about Hansa Teutonica. Let me know on Twitter if you've played it, or if you're curious and want to hear more. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Once again, I'm Chris Morris. Thanks for listening, and may all of your dice rolls be critical successes. Gamers, I'm Jason, and today it's What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. Unfortunately, I'm flying solo today, but don't worry if you want to hear Julie's thoughts about the game I'll be discussing, make sure to check it out. It should be being released the same day, or it will already be released when you get to hear this episode. I'm talking about G.I. Joe Mission Critical, published by Renegade Game Studios and designed by T.C. Petty III, based on the Guardian system designed by Jonathan Ying. Now, in this game, you're going to have five G.I. Joes. Uh, the game that it preceded it, Heroes of the Grid, was expandable up to six. You can use those rules as well with Mission Critical, as they use the same system to play at six players. So you have your G.I. Joes starting in the pit. They're going to be moving around 
the globe to fight the forces of Cobra in different locations. You'll be fighting against foot soldiers, Cobra lieutenants, even some nemesises, which are some of those bigger, badder lieutenants like Baroness, as you then try to defeat the boss, who will be Cobra Commander, or if you do have the heavy firepower expansion, Destro, in order to save the world from Cobra's nefarious schemes. Now, if you've heard Julie and I discuss Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid earlier, then you'll know our thoughts on the Guardian system overall. But this is the first time we got to see it applied to a different IP. And overall, we have to say that it does work. The Zords are replaced with the new vehicle system. And just like the G.I. Joe show, you get a lot of different vehicles that can do many different things. That being said, one of the weaknesses of the vehicle system is that not all of them are created equal. And once you use a vehicle one time, unless you happen to have characters like a bomb strike from the heavy firepower expansion, that vehicle is going to be gone and you will not see it for the remainder of the game. Now that may not be the case if you do not have the vehicle expansion pack. Once you have that expansion and you've got the heavy firepower expansion, there's really enough of a vehicle deck that you really shouldn't be seeing the same vehicle come up twice. And you'll be able to play those at any time during a battle, triggering their effects to help out your heroes. So it can be a great way to get around fast cards if you have some cards that can deal a lot of damage right off the bat. Now when it comes to our enjoyment of Mission Critical versus Heroes of the Grid, for our first game we definitely did not enjoy it as much. And one of the things that we found is that the Joes don't quite come together the way the Rangers did in the core box for Heroes of the Grid. You don't get as many sort of team play aspects. You do have Duke who's largely based on the Red Ranger with some similar abilities. Uh, other characters do have similar abilities that have carried over from Heroes of the Grid. But their cards are definitely very different. And because the Joes don't gel cohesively right out of the box, that's definitely a negative. So if you're looking for a great cooperative team play experience, Heroes of the Grid is definitely a little bit uh, better than, than that uh, at the moment. Now, one thing we do find with the Joes, though, is that as this game is going to expand, because the G.I. Joes are individually very cool and do a lot of good things, you're going to be able to find interesting ways to combine them and get some very powerful combos. It's just that you're going to have to be a little bit more patient with regard to getting this done. Also, when it comes to the Joes, they're definitely not all created equal. So we did combine, and we have started playing the Heavy Firepower expansion. We won't do a full review of that on uh, What You're Being Playing Wednesdays, but you'll be able to find that coming out on our channel soon. We did enjoy certain characters like Bomb Strike, who is very good. We currently have Gung Ho, who pairs incredibly well with Stalker. If both of them are in the same location, you can deal a nasty amount of damage, uh, revealing those star abilities for defense that you do in the Guardian system. So some very interesting combos. So far, I'd say the most disappointing for both of us has been Scarlet. Uh, we just didn't really like her character. And the character that is the best, and ironically, well, not ironically, you should say fittingly enough, but almost to the point that it's not even fair, Snake Eyes is overpowered. I was playing Snake Eyes and I was able to defeat four foot soldiers, albeit I did get some great rolls, by using only one card out of my hand. He's got some great solo abilities, so he is the character that's designed to go into a mess of enemies, maybe get a little bit backup of backup that comes later, and be able to save the day. But playing as him versus playing as the other Joes, it's just not nearly as fun. 
So that is definitely something that is a little bit of a problem with the game, especially if you're going to be playing with just the five Joes in the core box. Whoever's going to be playing Snake Eyes might be having a lot of fun, and if you're stuck playing as Scarlet, you will be having less fun. We also did find that Cover Girl is fairly essential. The fact that she has a lot of cards that can affect uh, the vehicles that are out, play vehicles for one less, really lets you go into that supply of vehicles and bring them out and use them in battles, even in battles where you don't necessarily want to because they're just going to make things a lot easier because of the way she's able to interact with the board. And right now she's pretty much the only character in the core box that can. Duke has two cards that can do it, but he only reduces the cost of a vehicle by one. Whereas CoverGirl has a whole slew of different things to let you spend vehicles to get rid of some of the ones that you don't necessarily like or even like use some for defense to boost the defense on characters and get rid of some that you don't necessarily like to bring out some of the, the stronger ones. So lot, lots of interesting play here. We do really like this core box. We like the system. We feel that's going to get better as they expand it. But when we have to compare it to, you know, Heroes of the Grid, I think that's where we're having the most fun. But don't take my word for it. You should definitely listen to our full review. You get an idea of where I'm going. We enjoyed this game, but it's definitely not our favorite iteration of the system. Now, Renegade, if you happen to be listening to this, you've done deck builders for G.I. Joe, My Little Pony, Transformers, and Power Rangers. Right now, we've got Power Rangers and G.I. Joe in the Guardian system. Please do Transformers next. I'm sure a My Little Pony game would be cool, but I really want to see that Transformers Guardian system game, especially due to those epic 80s Marvel Comics mashups, G.I. Joe and Transformers. Would love to play that on my table. And on that note, I'm going to remind you to keep playing games. Hey there, everybody. Norm here from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. And uh, it's my turn to talk about what you've been playing and uh, Gamer's Garage. We uh, got to the table. I don't even know if that's proper grammar. My wife's an English teacher, so she's probably cringing right now. Um, uh, what hit the table? Dune Imperium. Yeah, I'm loving this game. Uh, let's hit the details first. Tw- uh, came out 2020. Two years ago? Holy moly. Uh, came out in 2020. And uh, let's see here. Designed by Paul Denon and published by Dire Wolf. And uh, we played with the uh, expansion, which is, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, I can't even think right now. Rise of Ix. Yes, my apologies. Uh, And Rise of Ix kind of uh, brings in a sideboard and updates a little bit of uh, uh, some of the worker placement areas. And uh, so let's just, I mean, let's quickly uh, hit the, uh, if there's somebody out there who doesn't know about this game, uh, this is a deck building worker placement. Uh, I, you know that whole that whole joy of both of. The, I mean, I love both those mechanisms. And uh, this uh, just bef- to give a context, this game comes to you uh, by those who brought you Clank, the whole Clank series, right? So there is that DNA throughout this game, and you 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 see that in the 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 way the system works right the deck building they've got this they got a good groove on the deck building right like a blues guitar player who know sits in a riff i mean these guys have a good riff when it comes to deck building um 
And it's a euro. It's a straight out euro. Uh, it is reflective of the IP Dune uh, to the fact that it's an abstraction, um, like a a uh, a euro. <laughs> yeah, euro abstraction of all the elements of the game. So you have the four factions, um, which represent you know the Benny Gesserit and then the uh, you know. All those four qualifiers, I don't want to really get into a, a review here, but uh, there's four factions that have tracks that uh, respond by giving you halfway through the track, there's a victory point, and then once you hit a, a top echelon, there's another victory point where you get to hold the alliance token. And ultimately, this game is a race. It's a race to 10 or to 12. And this is the second time we played with the, I forget what Jordan called the, uh, the, the variant, but we turned everything on. It was the monster version. We went to 12 points. And uh, yeah, I so, I'm, I so click into this game. Now, it's, uh, with the expansion, you get uh, more uh, player asymmetry in regards to the, the, the players that you can be. Um, and I played Baron Harkonnen, and I noticed that this, I mean, I've played it enough times now to, to kind of understand, at least for me, what I like to do when I play this game. And this time, I repeated an idea, which was lean into, like, lean heavy into the, the feature of your character. And for, for Baron Harkonnen, when you play the Signet Ring, if you paid a coin you got to take an entry card. So ah, this was, this was the first time that I have burnt through so many entry cards. <laughs> that was a very interesting way to say that. Um, that uh, it changed the dynamic. I, and eventually, I mean, I won the game uh, by one point. Um, Jeff hit five points right at the end. It was insane how, how, like, <laughs> how threatening that was. Like, oh my God, he's going to get me. Um, but uh, yeah, everything, if, uh, like if you lean into that, that featured power, hopefully it gives you that. And if you can find in the board the way that that synergistically connects, hopefully you can get, uh, get on with a good game. And, you know, I've had my, some of my favorite games are when I've completely tanked because I've been just trying you know, different things or, or <laughs> just not getting the, the, the market cards that I needed and the synergy with, with whatever, you know, uh, uh, card combinations are going on. So I, uh, I, yeah, this is one of my, I, I, I want to be like, you know, the, the, like everybody says, this is one of my favorite games. Uh, I, but I will say this game is seeing the table a lot more than the other games. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, yeah, let's uh, finish this off by uh, always coming back to you, the listener, saying thank you so much for taking the time and listening to what we have to say about the games. And if you don't have Dune Imperium, you should get it. Um, but uh, And also, too, thank you so much to the content creators who, uh, who take the time and contribute to so, so that we could do this big shiny tunes of uh, the Canadians. They'll get it, eh? of uh, what we've been playing recently. And uh, that being said, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh?